ultimately it's always going to be butt in seat, fingers on keyboard, like that that stuff at its core won't change. The the general formula of I just gotta show up and trust that the information is, is going to flow. That part is what I think is at its core the most important in being a content generating machine, which I consider myself. Writer's block. Most people who write have experienced that crushing feeling of having nothing to say. And if finding new customers, convincing them to buy, and developing new products depends on your ability to produce great content, writer's block can feel worse than an empty bank account. What if everything we believe about writer's block and our business's dependency on a steady stream of new content is wrong? You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. This month, we're examining the stories of business owners who have planted a seed, watered it, tended it, and helped it grow. In this episode, you'll learn how Bonnie Gillespie, the author of Self-Management for Actors, planted a seed before she even started her business. Her bridge job as a show business industry columnist blossomed into an empire that's still rooted in the words she wrote over 20 years ago. Email by email, article by article, blog post by blog post, book by book, and even tweet by tweet, she strategically pieced together her body of work. Bonnie and I talk about how she realized her first book was waiting to be born, the way she used an automated Twitter account to develop a new product, how she stays in dialogue with her audience to fuel the content she publishes, and why she doesn't buy into guru culture. Now, do you have a story about planting a seed in your business? Have you run a small experiment and watched it transform your work? Have you taken a small step and put yourself on a whole new path? I'd love to hear your story. Share it with us on Instagram using the hashtag explore what works and tag me at Tara underscore McMullen. We'll be sharing your stories throughout the month and you'll be entered to win a free lifetime membership to the What Works Network. For full rules and giveaway instructions, go to explorewhatworks.com slash April giveaway. That's explorewhatworks.com slash April giveaway. Giveaway closes April 22nd, 2019. Now let's find out what works for Bonnie Gillespie. Bonnie Gillespie, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Tara. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. This topic um, that we're going to be exploring today is something that you've shared a lot about uh, with us in our community, um, but I'm really stoked to bring it to our wider audience as well. So without further ado, let's just dive right into it. You have built your empire, and it really is an empire, with content, with writing specifically. When did you first realize that self-management for actors was a book that was waiting to be born? That is definitely going to be all credit to my husband, Keith. He um, watched as I slogged through my actor survival job, turned, oh, this is actually what I'm here to do, transition of, oh, I'm writing and interviewing casting directors. And it, it honestly was a job I took on just supporting my acting career in the 90s. And it very quickly evolved into, there's a lot of advice here. I'm answering a lot of questions that are coming in via email between the interviews that I'm doing with all these casting directors for the column. Uh, and I would keep the best version of every answer I ever wrote 
uh, printed out in, in a three ring binder because that's who I am as a person at, at my core. If I've written it and it's good, don't lose it. That's the journalist in me. And this three ring binder started getting sorted into, well, these are questions about agents. These are questions about your tools, your you know website, headshot, resume, all the cover letter, demo reel, all the things, the people. And I went, yeah, this this is a good collection of good answers. So I never have to write the same answer twice. And Keith said, Bonnie, I think this is a book. And I said, oh, no, it's all just common sense. And he said, yeah, to you, but to an artist who doesn't have that worldview that you do, this is actually information that could be out in their hands in a reference book. And when I when he framed it as a reference book, I went, okay, I can get behind that. I love that. All right. So let's back up a little bit in the story, um, because while I think your empire maybe started with self-management for actors, like you said, you had been writing before that and you had had you had started kind of staking out your position in the market and your brand long before that. So how did you start writing the column that you were writing and just sort of tell us more about that and who you were writing for, where you were writing all that good stuff? Sure. Um, I had come out to LA as an actor. And one of the things that you do is take on a bunch of little shit jobs that you care very little about so that you can drop any of them at a moment's notice to go on an audition or to take a booking. And one of those many jobs uh, that I had was uh, as a columnist for Backstage, which is still to this day a, a major trade publication for actors in particular, uh, but for the entertainment industry in general. And I, I was basically a floater temp. And I had been, you know, like, it was like substitute teaching. I'd get a call in the morning. Hey, someone's out. Can you cover a desk? Great. I would go in and cover a desk and answer phones and do some light data entry. And one day I was asked to, you know, could I write? And I secretly had a master's in journalism that I wasn't telling them about because I had no interest in getting a job at a major publication writing because I was an actor, damn it. And I was going to stick with that plan. Uh, but of course, I, I wrote a couple things and was very quickly led into the office and told, OK, now you have to have this job. And I said, nope, don't want a job. I'm allergic to full time employment. That's not going to be a thing. Um, but ended up saying yes to a freelance position where I got to interview casting directors. And I looked at that as an, an actor like a secret weapon. I'm going to be able to, as an actor, walk into all these casting offices that I can't get into with a headshot. But if I show up with a micro cassette recorder, they're like, come on in, sit down, let's talk. You know, yeah, we'd love to share our process with you. And I'm like, oh my God, all the mysteries answered. Uh, but within a few months, it was very clear that acting was the bait to get me to Hollywood so that I could do the thing that I was actually meant to do, which is demystify the casting process and talk about the business side of a creative career um, having always been an actor and, and having always surrounded myself with actors, I was very, very well aware that there's not a, a real business being taught uh, to creatives. It's much more about the craft and your passion, and none of that is castable. I mean, yes, you do have to have craft. Yes, you do have to have passion. These are things that are important in being cast, but it is running a business uh, first and foremost, and that's uh, the part that was getting left out. Uh, so in interviewing these casting directors, I started amassing amounts of data that became self-management for actors because it got clear to me the more people I talked to that there are patterns that we could track. And if we can track patterns, we can figure this shit out. And we don't have to we don't have to decide that there's mystery in every single room we go into, and we don't have to decide that we're giving away all the power to something that we don't understand as artists. We actually can kind of figure out what the odds are that something's going to work a certain kind of way if we have enough data. And that's really how it was all built 
was just off my finding out the answer to every question that every actor had when she would write into my column every week with more questions. They would say, you've got this interview and that interview. What's the rule? And I'm like, I love all these creatives choosing to, to choose a job with no rules and then wanting to know what the rules are. Right. Uh, and I, I, I get it because you can't color outside the lines if you don't know where the lines are. So I, I get it. But that going in and finding out, yeah, you know what? Actually, you do need a longer demo reel for this type of project than for that one. And letting there be different rules for different types of casting uh, really became part of what I started looking under the hood about. Oh, I love that. And I love your point about creative people wanting to know the rules to so the thing that they don't want to have rules, but they want to know the like the, 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 the mismatch, the misalignment there. I see that in business all the time as well. So many small business owners get into things because they want to do stuff their own way. They want to make their own decisions. They don't want to have a boss anymore. And then the minute things get really hard, like they want to know what the rules are. What's the right way to do this? Yeah. Would someone just tell me what to do? How do I, you know, how do I do this without failing? Mailing and it's like, well, okay, so we can talk about those things. And also you're still going to have to make your own decisions. So I see a lot of parallels there as well. Okay. So I want to ask you about this transition from thinking of yourself as an actor to thinking of yourself as someone who is meant to demystify this process and work with actors on the business of acting. Um, and one theme that comes up over and over and over again on these interviews is the identity crisis at the heart of the pivot that makes the business work, the pivot that creates the business, the pivot that um, takes things from working to thriving and incredibly successful. Did you experience an identity crisis at that, that shift from thinking of yourself as an actor to thinking of yourself as a writer and teacher and, and coach? Or was it something that felt really natural to you? You know, my my big pivot was what I call the age 28 epiphany. And that's when I dropped out of my PhD program and sold everything I owned on eBay and moved back to LA to give acting one more shot. I didn't you know, want to wake mm -hmm. up 40 one, wondering what if. And so I, that Saturn return just you know hit me really hard. And I, I was like, definitely uh, having that shift because at the time I was in grad school having decided I'm not going to be an actor. So I I, ah. I grew up a kid actor, moved to Hollywood. I was like, this is going to be my life. The Northridge earthquake hit. And I went, boy, that sucks. Grad school looks good. Moved back east, did the grad school thing and went, oh, now I got to figure out who I am if I'm not an actor. So I kind of already had my identity crisis back then and then had that, no, I got to give acting one more shot. Moving back to LA with nothing to lose. I was like, I already dropped out of a PhD with hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans looking at me over here and no plan except get back to LA. And this time not going to take a real job, not going to let anybody employ me in any kind of way that could become golden handcuffs. I am going to stay that actor brain. And something about that scrappiness allowed me to uh, bring in a bunch of little jobs that organically led themselves to the empire that I've built. And, and it's not, I, 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 it's not lost on me how fantastic it is that one of my survival jobs was for the Sundance Institute. You know, that's the Sundance Film Festival and working for Uncle Bob, like, you know, Robert Redford comes in and you're just like, oh my God, Uncle Bob's here, Uncle Bob's, and he's absolutely beautiful. And, <laughs> there, you know, these things of like being around that kind of charisma and going, oh, my job is to help build up the archives. But meanwhile, I'm building up these relationships mm. and really starting to learn from that point that in a relationship business, 
we're, we're managing all of that. And then I started realizing there's no business that isn't a relationship business. So teaching that is more for me, just sharing, like, here's what's worked for me. Here's something that I noticed. If this helps you, Godspeed, go with it, you know, but adjust it for yourself because I'm so anti-guru that for me, this is just me sharing my toys. That it happens that it happens to help an entire generation of creatives have a healthy and happy show business career. Yay! But that's a bonus. <laughs> I love that. All right. Um, so a lot has changed since you've written, since you wrote self-management for actors, and you have built just an absolutely incredible business for yourself. And like you said, you're influencing a generation of people in show business right now. Um, but I'm curious about the logistical shift for you and the practice of writing and content creation and how that has changed. Because obviously, you know, I've seen a ton of changes in technology. My practice has changed a lot, and I'd love to know how um, from the beginning of writing that column and interacting with people and shooting off those emails with um, the the collected responses you'd gathered um, in that time. How has your writing shifted to now? Can you kind of walk us through that evolution to the way that you're approaching content marketing today? Sure. Uh, ultimately, it's always going to be butt in seat, fingers on keyboard, you know, get this shit done. Like that, that stuff at its core won't change. Um, or, I mean, maybe the technology shifts somewhat or you're writing hard, you know, uh, out you know, by hand and, and that feels like more your style, putting it in a journal first. Like, the, yeah, those little things. But the, the general formula of I just got to show up and trust that the information is, is going to flow, that part is what I think is at its core the most important in being a content generating machine, which I consider myself. Uh, I, I have such a strong muscle for turning a column every week that even long after I stopped being a columnist, I get twitchy on Sunday going, did I turn it in? Because I did it for 16 years. And yeah. so every single Sunday, there's like, okay, what what is my topic? And so I, instead of going, well, I don't have to do that anymore. Relax, kick your feet up. I went, great, that's an email. That's a blog post. That's a podcast episode. That's a Facebook Live. And as the technology changes, which is always a moving target, I always need topics. I always need content. I always need to have something to say. But what I also learned very early on in my columns is that I basically have six core topics. And then it's which way am I coming at those six core topics, because everything is a cousin to those main things that we're going to talk about. And it's the, you know, the four pillars of self-management for actors, and then a couple other things that are outside of those pillars. And outside of that, it's just this thing happened. Here's a story that makes it relatable. And then where I choose to share that may change over time, but that I share it is never going to change. And so back before it was called blogging, I was keeping an online journal because it's how I stayed in touch with all my friends back east when I made the move to LA in the late 90s. And so it wasn't even called blogging then, but I had an online journal and gave people a link to go to so they could keep up with me without me having to write emails to everybody in 1998, 99. <laughs> 
That's awesome. So one thing that I'm hearing kind of from you over and over again is this idea of patterns. You mentioned the patterns in uh, the questions people ask, the patterns in the way the business works. And now I'm hearing from you patterns in the way you create content as well. You know what the topics are, you know what the structure of an article or a column or a post needs to be. And sure, the, the, the particulars of that might change over time, but the pattern stays the same. Um, how have you honed your, the patterns that you see over time? Um, and is that a skill that you've learned or do you think that that's something that you've kind of been gifted with, that that's just one of your strengths? If there's anything that feels like, like it is a gift in any of this, it's that I didn't need a lot of ramp up to start trusting my gut. And so that that's where the big difference is, is that I didn't doubt that I was noticing patterns like I see some people do, uh, that I, I would say, wow, you know, it, every July I have to write something about actor funk because actors get this actor funk by midpoint in the year. And, and what is that? And of course, from a psychological perspective, I look at that and say, we're at the halfway point of the year. They're nowhere close to the goals that they thought when January started off and they're like, boo, rah, rah, I'm going to get all this done and I'm going to make changes. And this is going to, I'm not the best agent and have commercially airing in all the networks and making all the money and being on Jay Leno. And it's like, yeah, all of that is no. And it's starting to get to the point where midpoint in the year you're going, and I now don't have enough time to make the kinds of changes that I was so ambitious about before. And so of course, I'm going to have to write something in the summer that's about actor funk. And instead of getting in that that typical business head of, I'm running my business, and why, why is nobody buying the thing that they were buying three months ago? Why do I have to shift gears in this little content area? I would go, great. It's seasonal. That yes, in the spring, I'm writing about how to take a meeting because everybody's taking meetings with agents and managers because they just totally dropped clients from pilot season and are looking to bring on new talent. But I don't have to talk to anybody about how to take a meeting in the summer. I got to talk to them about how to stick with it or know it's time to cut bait and go. And like not getting into a, wait, why did I just have to change what I was talking about? But instead going, that's right, because it's summer. Let's get everybody settled down about their goals. Let's do a mid a midpoint in the year reset. And as you know, a teacher, that means how do I create something that then people want to buy at that time of the year that supports exactly what I've always had to write about. And not not turning that into shit, my market's changing and I constantly have to resurvey it because I think we can get a little blinded by the metrics if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. So it's it's, yeah. a, it's enough about like keeping an eye on where everybody is, but not letting that drive your business plan. Gotcha. The other thing that I'm hearing here too is that um, you're not reinventing the wheel constantly. Mm-mm. And I think that that is another pattern um, with how you have built things layer upon layer upon layer over time is you are constantly repurposing content. Um, and so I want to dig into how you repurpose content because I think it's incredibly smart <laughs> and it's a topic I'm really passionate about too. Not reinventing the wheel and always be repurposing Um I guess maybe we could, we'll use my Alec Baldwin voice for that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) After the break, you'll find out how Bonnie repurposed her content using an automated Twitter account to create a new product her customers loved. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Bench. 
It's tax season, and that means you're thinking about whether your books are in order. If you're ready to stop stressing about cleaning up your business finances yourself, it's time to get Bench. Bench combines easy-to-use software with real human beings who do your bookkeeping for you. Not only does your money stay neat and tidy, you get valuable monthly financial statements and expense reports, plus access to your personal bookkeeping team whenever you have a question. Even better, What Works listeners get 20% off their first six months of bookkeeping, and you can try it out free of charge before you commit. To get started, go to explorewhatworks.com slash bench. That's explorewhatworks.com slash bench. What Works is also brought to you by Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks powers brands and businesses like yours that bring people together. Now, the way most small businesses run is a mess. Your content is spread out over a bunch of different platforms. Your products live somewhere else. Your community hangs out in a different space. And your payment processor, well, that's yet another tool. Starting a Mighty Network, well, it can change all that. Mighty Networks makes it easy to bring your content, products, community, events, and payment processing all together. We use Mighty Networks to power the What Works Network. We share exclusive content, interact with our members using questions and polls, host events like our virtual conferences, and accept membership fees. Mighty Networks has made our whole business tidier. Start cleaning up your business and systems by starting your Mighty Network today. Go to MightyNetworks.com to get started. Mighty Networks is the easiest way to take your business to the next level. So let's start with the, let's start off first with a really specific story, which is how you used an automated Twitter account um, to repurpose content in a way that actually then helped you create another product from that repurposed content later on. Um, Tell us about this Twitter account. Sure. So in 2009, um, I decided I wanted a Twitter account to be tweeting a line a day from Self-Management for Actors. So we set up a Self-Management for Actors Twitter account, got a social oomph account, and I had an intern at the time uh, go through. I would pick out which ones were going to be the uh, the tweets because I knew from the material which lines. Basically, I, I know which lines are what length and where they are in the book. And I just went through self-management for actors and highlighted this one, this one, this one, this one. And uh, then she went in and programmed them in to run a tweet a day, just a line from the book. And the, the Twitter account doesn't follow anybody. It doesn't retweet anybody. It doesn't reply to anybody. It is nothing but content from the book so that if somebody lands on that tweet and goes, oh, that's interesting, then they can pick up the book and go on from there and start their journey. Um, there was a time probably three years in, uh, three and a half years in of that Twitter account where my audience really wanted the next edition of self-management for actors. First edition was out in 2003. I think at the time where we were between third edition and fourth edition in terms of uh, the, the writing and editing process. And it was too early. I did not want to rush the fourth edition because we had major changes happening in our industry with the unions merging and YouTube taking off uh, in terms of being a, a real viable source for content creators to actually monetize. And there were just there was so, so much was shifting that I was like, I'm not rushing a fourth edition to the printer and then having it outdated in a year. I want this book to be evergreen. And so I need to get on the other side of a couple of things that we know are coming. So rather than rush, I took 
but I know I knew my my buyers wanted something. I took the the tweets that were getting the most favorited and the most retweeted from that Twitter account, and again had an intern go through and just actually look at the numbers. So it wasn't even like I'm having to crunch the data. It's that I look at then the data that's been crunched and go, okay, here's what what we know. These types of tweets do really well. These don't. What about these that do well? Uh, could we lean into and and turn into a product? And it basically became uh, the the Bonnie in your pocket, this tiny little book that's called SMFA, The Ninja Within. SMFA is the acronym for self-management for actors. And so our, our tribe has named the book SMFA and they've called themselves SMFA ninjas because a lot of the tactics in there are very, you know, lurk then lead, be in the space before anybody actually knows you're in the space kind of stuff. Um, and so the Ninja Within is essentially all the best tweets so that as an actor goes into an audition or has a mindset thing they're working through, they can just flip to a page in the book. They see that little nugget of advice, tuck the book back away and move on. And it was basically to create something that we could put into the imprint market space where people needed us to have something coming out at a time when I actually wasn't ready to publish anything. So smart. So smart. Uh, what are some of the ways that you're repurposing content today? What might we be surprised you're reusing or utilizing in interesting ways? So the the original self-management for actors content, uh, as we've already discussed, came from how I answered emails now coming up on 20 years ago. Uh, as a columnist, there are still words from those very first emails 20 years ago that still make their way into my columns, my podcast episodes, my Facebook lives, my tweets, my speeches as I tour the world. There are there are combinations of things that I say that I go, oh, I I remember writing that for the first time. It's it's not new stuff, but there's someone new in the business today that doesn't have the advantage of having seen that 20 years ago. It's new to them. It's very much like that whole, what was it? NBC ran a campaign years ago that was, you know, uh, make sure you join us on not must see TV, but this other day where, Hey, if it's, if it's new to you, it's a new episode. And I was like, that is such a raunchy way to market. But at the same time, it's so true. If you're just discovering it, it, it is new to you. And I think that's a confidence thing that I would like to mention because I know early on, I thought I had to invent new shit every single time I did anything because I remember everything I've ever done. And I know how many times I've said it. I know how many people have read it. I know how many people have been exposed to it potentially. And I feel like a fraud if I'm just saying the same thing I've said before. And I had to get over that and go, it's not you being a fraud. It's you being on message and staying consistent. And to them, it's brand new information. Light bulb goes off, they don't care that you first said it whatever number of years ago or whatever number of blog posts ago. Um, so for me, it's way more about getting confident that what you're sharing is good information and has value and finds its audience and less about reinventing things unless it's that you're being responsive to your audience, which is a very different thing than reinventing yourself just for sport. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that res responsiveness uh, to your audience in just a minute, but I'm curious if you could talk about the amount of overlap that you have between the sort of the different pillars of your business model when it comes to content. So you're still writing publicly, you have the book, uh, you have a membership site. How much overlap is there between 
the content in each of those places? I have always said that the only thing coming inside the paywall gets you is immediacy, specificity, uh, and confidence uh, that, that this is the stuff that you you're not being withheld by like, there's not this information that's withheld because you didn't spend money. Um, and and I, there's confidence that comes with uh, being a buyer, it, it, you know, but having skin in the game, you know, we know that as business owners that it, it, there's a requirement at some point to feel like, oh, OK, they're not leaving out the good stuff for the paying customers. And even though I've always put everything I've ever said out for free. There's there's not a single piece of advice I've ever given in a private paid for session or group environment that doesn't already exist out there in my free stuff. But there's something about coming on that inside of that spending the money situation that makes you feel like, okay, there's not some some secret that's being withheld from me what what is being given in that environment is that it's customized it's all about you it is uh, if it's one of my my hands off kind of membership programs where it's it's largely automated it's not even that it's all about you it's that it's a deeper dive and then there's engagement in the comments where it can become all about you or you do an, a, an, a coaching session uh, that adds on to that membership and then that becomes all about you but the the content is the content is the content I, there's there's not some secret that's back behind the paywall it, it is just that specificity and that immediacy that if you instead want my free quarterly calls, you show up to the free quarterly calls, you're asking a question in front of, you know, several hundred other people, and you may not want them all up in your business. So you want me privately, and then that is a different relationship. But the relationship shifts, not the information. Huge takeaway, the relationship shifts, not the information, The, the container, the structure of it shifts, not the information. Such a great lesson for people. Um, And I love what you've said a few times now, too, about learning the learning lessons around confidence as opposed to learning lessons around like, well, this is how you squeeze an extra dollar out of people, or this is how you withhold the real, the the good stuff. It's having the confidence to say the relationship changing or the structure changing is where the value is, as opposed to me just telling you that extra that extra thing or that that secret that no one's willing to say for free. Let, Such a great. Let, yeah. yeah, yeah, let me let me yes and that really bigly, bigly, bigly here because that's like a, <laughs> that that's a huge one for me in so many ways because I'm all about the long game. And in what I teach others about especially actors about building relationships with casting professionals whether, you know, it's agents, directors, people that are going to be bringing them in over time. It's like going in and saying I hope I get this part Part is short-sighted. What you do when you go into the room is build a relationship. And so we call that book the room. Don't worry about booking the part, book the room. Because if you book the room, you've built a fan base and you need to trust that there are decades stretched out ahead for opportunities for many parts. But if you're so short-sighted that you're looking at that role or as the entrepreneur, if you're looking at that one sale, you're basically telling your buyers, I don't trust that either of us have a future in this business. So I'm not investing in the relationship long haul. I want something right now. And I think that getting focused on the, I need this sale right now, I need to squeeze that extra dollar out of something is no different than an actor saying, I need this part right now. And I'm like, you're thinking small. 
You need the part they're going to have for you in a decade when they are such a fan of yours that they want to build a series around you. And and the fact that you are so short-sighted that you just want this part right now. And I, I get wanting, and that's fine. You can want and want and want. That's good. But that being short-sighted that you're not doing work that lays the groundwork for that long-term relationship is, I think, what gets a lot of people uh, disillusioned by what they've built, whether it's a creative career or a, a less creative entrepreneurship. Awesome. Okay, let's talk about your responsiveness with with your audience, because so much of what you have built, as you've said, is this dialogue with the people who follow you, the people who want to learn from you, the people who have benefited so much from what from the content that you've put out into the world. How do you how are you currently managing that dialogue with people so that you are getting new ideas for content? You are seeing changes in the marketplace um, and and in and in your industry. But at the same time, you're not getting overwhelmed by the thousands of people who would like some some Bonnie time. Yeah, I. Boundaries are fun. I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm so, a part of my brand is being so accessible and so available. And I used to stay up nights stressed about not getting back to somebody with advice because they're hurting. You know, there are people who, yeah. they, they, the, biggest problem they have in the world is something that I know I could solve if I could just soothe them just even the tiniest little bit. And that makes it so that being in my DMs at Instagram becomes a, a stressful thing. And I don't want to be stressed out when I go to Instagram or I don't want to be stressed out when I go anywhere, Tara. Let's just put it that way. I don't want to be stressed <laughs> out anywhere. But I, I felt there was an overwhelming amount of... <sighs> stuff coming at me at one point. I, I really vividly remember this is probably going to be 2006, 2007 was the big turning point for me on this because the book by then, you know, had been out a few years. I had, you know, toured the world speaking and doing book signings and uh, definitely had enough of a presence now that I was like, okay, this is going to be a thing where I'm going to be sought out for, you know, this advice stuff. Got it. Um, but I really felt like I had to answer everybody and I had to help everybody. And what we shifted within our business model was if I can answer it in front of more than one single person, it's worth doing because that is information that then benefits more than just the individual that is hurting at that moment. And so that's another vote for that content aspect. If, it, if I can turn it into a blog post, if I can turn it into a column, if I can turn it into an email newsletter, if I can post it in our self-management factors Facebook group, if you know anything that can make it live longer than just this one email exchange or DM exchange, I'm in. And then when people say, but no, I want you to help me right here in my DMs privately right now, not in front of anyone else. I'm like, you want private coaching and that's over here. And I don't do that anymore unless you've graduated from one of my membership programs because I had to find yet another boundary. I can't just be available for everyone who applies to coach with me. I had to, I thought raising the price would be a filter and it was for a while and then it wasn't. So I went, okay, now I've got to also have a prerequisite to coach with me and things like that. And, and feeling not like a shitty person each time you fortify a boundary, uh, I think becomes incredibly important as a, as a business owner, because it's just, it, it's so challenging because we get into it because we want to serve so many and then realizing, yes, and we can serve more if the boundaries are secure for the, for the leaks 
that are there. Yeah. I've had a very similar rule for myself um, for many years as well around um, wanting to help, um, but only doing so when I can do it in front of more than one person. And that's been um, as much for you know, kind of the free content as it has been for paid conversations, paid groups, paid coaching. Um, because I think there is so much to learn from listening to other people's needs. But I think that's probably a confidence piece of the equation as well is recognizing and having confidence in the fact that one person's problem is someone else's problem always, as well. Always, yeah. always. Yeah, we have I have mastermind groups that I run. And yesterday I had two of my mastermind sessions back to back. And in both of them, someone said, I get so much value just listening to the workshopping that's going on when I'm not the one in the hot seat. And I'm personally an interactive learner as my primary, primary learning style as well. So I love that yes and, that dance, that conversation, the hearing of you know what's going on, the hands in the clay. So I get that there's value in all sorts of different ways that we present information. But you're right to tie that back to a confidence thing, because especially early on, it, it might feel like, uh, you know, oh, am I afraid to show my coaching in front of others or whatever, instead of going, no, it's great. We're, we're, all, just, we're all just sharing what we know and what we've experienced. And it's one of my favorite things, Tara, about the way you frame a lot of information is that we don't call it advice. We call it, I'm sharing experiences and yours, your experiences are going to vary, you know, person to person out there taking this advice that gets into the guru syndrome part of the world. And that's something that I think both you and I seem to shy away from because it's just, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not from a place of high confidence. To, yeah. If you feel like you've got to say, oh, yes, this is the way that it is. And, and if you don't follow this method, then there's a problem. It's like, ah, that comes from a low enoughness place. I'm not crazy about that. Yeah. Let, okay. Let's talk a little bit more about that because I think you and I are exactly on the same page with this. And it's one thing that I absolutely love about you and, and everything that you've shared here today. And also, I think I have a feeling that for some listeners out there, there might be some dissonance between, um, you know, you talking about having the, this just reams of content that you've built over the years and being able to speak with such authority and such confidence. And at the same time saying, I don't have all the answers or this is my experience or this is what I've seen work or this is what worked for me. Um, how do you view your brand, view your position as a content creator without going into that expert space without going into that advice culture space or that guru space is there a um a framework or a rubric even very informal that you use to make sure you don't go that direction or is it something that you're just kind of that it comes naturally to you that's such a good question tara i i really think the underlying enoughness element is what shifted it for me and made it much more a part of just who I am. Um, that, that, I, that I, at first I felt like people are coming to me for answers and being a good student, being, you know, like I'm going to, I'll find out. I'm gonna, you know, I, I use that journalism background to just go, I'm going to ask all the people who are smarter than me to tell me what the thing is. And eventually I'll see enough patterns. And I, certainly data never lies. You get enough information from data, you'll be able to go, yeah, this is within reason what I can expect to happen. And then there's always going to be a, a strike of lightning or a, a pull of the right lottery numbers or the unicorn. 
run across, you know, like there's always going to be something that happens that uh, takes what we predict will happen and shifts it somewhat. So we've got to be prepared for the magic to happen. Uh, so, so data is definitely a big part of the confidence element, but I think what it came down to was something that I used in my fitness journey. And I know this is something that you and I shared as well in that, that whole one day there was just a, who do I want to be? And I want to be someone who has this kind of relationship with her body and her health and wellness, because that changes who I am as a business owner and uh, as a leader in my community. And so I, I, for me, it was pole fitness specifically. And I remember uh, early on having so many struggles with who I was and, and how I felt in my body and the confidence element there and putting myself outside my comfort zone, saying the phrase, I may not have this now, but there's a future version of me who's a badass at this trick. And I don't get to meet her if I stop showing up. And so continuing to show up to find out like what, what is the, the better version of this or what is it that I could, I could learn from this requires that curiosity and that showing up. And as different instructors would come around and say, do you have this trick? As we would start to do the one-on-one part of it, I would say, let's find out. And I realized let's <laughs> find out became a part of my business model. Because if there's anything that we don't know, well, let's go find out together what the answer is. And I like that so much better than I do have all the answers and pay me enough and I will tell you. I, I, it just makes me feel, ugh. I don't I don't like that as a business model uh, from a buyer perspective. So I certainly don't want anybody who's coming to me for help with their creative career to, to feel that pressure coming from me uh, on the other side as well. So I, I like to say, let's find out. There's a lot we can figure out and the stuff that we don't know, we're going to charge off together and see what we can learn. Uh, I love that so much. I love let's find out as a mantra for both business and life. There's a lot of um, similarities there in the the climbing world too. Like we're not, uh, someone wouldn't ask me if I have a particular trick in my pocket, but someone would definitely say, can you do this move? And the correct answer is always, I don't know, but let's find out. But it is. And that's such a beautiful way to approach it because it's like, we're going to find out together if I'm going to be able to make this happen or not. But right at this moment, nobody on the planet knows the answer to that question. So we're going to find out together. Yeah. And I I just also love that the sort of the underlying theme of this interview is confidence and enoughness. I mean, we're talking about content and building a business from content. uh, But when it comes down to it, it's it's having the confidence to hit publish. It's having the confidence to say the same thing twice. It's having the confidence to say, I don't know, let's find out. Um, And that, I think, is such a huge takeaway for people um, because it's something that stands between so many small business owners and the next step in their business or realizing a goal um, that they're maybe not even, they don't even have the confidence to articulate yet. Um, Okay. We need to start wrapping up. um, And I'm, I'd love to know just kind of from a bird's eye view, as we do wrap up here in the way that you're creating content now, in the way that you're looking at your content creation process, the way that you're teaching, the way that you're sharing uh, your observations and your experiences, what do you see as being some of the key differences between how you do what you do and maybe some of the more conventional wisdom around how content marketing is quote unquote done properly today? It's so interesting because I I look at that and say, I don't know that I even know what the <laughs> standard is to tell you how I deviate from it. And isn't that interesting that, you know, I don't care where the lines are 
to color outside of them. If we go back to the very beginning, talking about actors looking for what are the rules so I know how to break them kind of thing. I, I don't even know how I deviate because I don't spend an awful lot of time checking to make sure that what I'm doing tracks in any kind of way with what anybody else is doing. At the end of the day, I got to lay my head on the pillow having loved how I spent my day. And so for me, building a business and building an empire was, yes, I want to leave Hollywood better than I found it. Yes, I want creatives and artists and actors and storytellers to feel like they're having a more joy-filled journey because there's a whole lot of stress and strong negative emotions surrounding the rejection and the, the, the choosing that creative career for so many people. And so if that means that the way that I'm like throwing out some words and the order in which I arrange things inspire somebody, that's great. But really for me, it's, it's that I'm hoping to contribute to the long haul conversation of what being a creative is. And, and for me, that means that I, I have to be lit up by what I'm writing about or what I'm teaching about. And, and outside of that, I really don't check too much to see where what I'm doing falls in line with what anybody else is doing. Mm, perfect answer to that question. <laughs> well, good, because um, I, yeah. I was like, I don't actually know how I'm going to answer this one. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that you can't just rattle it off. <laughs> nope, got no script on that one. But believe me, that thing I just said, I will play back in this interview and write it down somewhere and put it in other content because I repurpose everything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and there is our, our biggest takeaway. <laughs> this interview. Beautiful. Bonnie, what are you looking forward to this year? Here we are. It's January 2019. What do you have coming down the pike? What are you What are you working on? What are you excited about? So my word for the year, I always pick a word or a theme. My word for the year is discovery. And I chose that one specifically because, you know, 2018 handed my ass to me with a really big uh, inward mind-body healing journey, um, having to deal with some upper limit problems and things that became physical issues because of uh, maladaptive ways of dealing with stress and emotion in my own life. And what's fascinated me about the, the deep inner work that I did in 2018 is that it has now completely shifted what I'm doing in my business. And I didn't expect that. I thought my forever story is I work with artists, I work with creatives, I work with showbiz people, I help actors get their jobs and get up, you know, hold up their golden shiny trophies. And that, you know, that's my life. And it's shifting way more woo woo than I ever expected. I got people coming to me wanting to talk about completely non acting type things um, about my journey through sobriety and mind body wellness. And that enoughness component is the one thing that is there no matter what the topic. Uh, so I decided to approach 2019 from a place of discovery. I don't know what this year is going to teach me, but let's find out. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't wait. It's, it's uh, everything that, that is ahead for me. It feels like bonus points now. I, I'm really excited about that. What an incredible place to be. Bonnie Gillespie, thank you so much for this incredible conversation. Tara, thank you for having me. It's a delight. I have long followed you and enjoyed what I've seen. And it's, it's wonderful to get to interact with you like this. Find out more about Bonnie Gillespie at BonnieGillespie.com. Now, remember, we want to hear your story of planting a seed in your business. Share it with us on Instagram using the hashtag explore what works and tag me at 
Tara underscore McMullen. We'll be sharing your stories throughout the month and you'll be entered to win a free lifetime membership to the What Works Network. For full rules and giveaway instructions, go to explorewhatworks.com slash April giveaway. That's explorewhatworks.com slash April giveaway. Giveaway closes April 22nd, 2019. This episode was produced by Sean McMullen and edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 190 candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today at explorewhatworks.com.